When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Fowler to tell you about our friends at Beer52. Once again, they're offering eight free craft beers to listeners of the Terrace podcast. And to be honest, guys, this might come just about in time. Lockdown restrictions are tightening. The number of people we can see from other households is being a bit more restricted. And it could soon get to the point where we're back stuck in our jammies again, drinking with our friends via Zoom. If that's going to be the case, then why not treat yourself, get some types of beers that you wouldn't be able to get in the pubs, and, you know, have a little bit of variety. Variety is the spice of life. I always like to go for different picks and mixes. My favourite food, for instance, is tapas. I like to just, you know, not just be stuck with one thing. Now, typically, I go against that when it comes to drinking beer. I, I typically go for cooking lager. But it's but the last time that Beer 52 had this promotion, I, I, I went for it myself. And I was thoroughly impressed with what they had to offer. Multiple different types of beer. Uh, I was able to... Some I obviously enjoyed more than others, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? And these are sourced, curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash terrace and just cover the 5 95 for postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every single month. Each month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, and all over the US and Europe. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose a light option, and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. Don't worry though, if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. Just go to beer52.com forward slash terrace to get your first case of eight beers for $5.95 postage. That's beer52.com forward slash terrace. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Craig Telfer and this evening I am joined by the Methuselah of Scottish football. It is Mr. Sean McGuigan. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Sean? You well? I'm very well. You all right? Yes, I am. I'm in high spirits. And the reason I'm in high spirits is because you and I are colliding tonight to talk about the 10 most embarrassing moments in the Scottish lower leagues from the past 10 years. I I have spent the last day and a half reading and watching some absolute muck, and I have been delighted to do so. I think this is the most excited I've been about a, a podcast in years, perhaps. <laughs> I was the same. I've spent the day looking back at some highlights packages and just saying to myself, this is fucking terrible uh, from every single aspect, and I cannot wait to, to get you and, and talk to you about it. And, and I think... 
this is a little bit different to other uh, countdowns that, that we've done in the past because a lot of the time the discussion will go, well, I had your number seven at my number five. So I, I don't think that works as well, to be honest. But you and I got in touch with each other beforehand and we had a, a long list and whittled it down. And I think that between us, we have come up with the 10 most embarrassing moments from the Scottish Lower Leagues since 2010. That's definitive. It is definitive. Now, some things didn't make the list. Uh, things like Aloha Athletics relegation in 2011, our Broth blowing the league to a title in 2015, the Shire dropping out of the SPFL entirely in 2016, Dundee United. Uh, but, but these really are 10 solid candidates and there's plenty to discuss. But before we begin, Sean, what do we mean by the term embarrassment in this context? Uh, I think there are. I think there's a number of scenarios in this list where not only were the clubs involved poor on the field, there was a, a circus surrounding them during yes. either that season or those seasons that we are going to mention. Not in every scenario, but I think when that when that is the case, those are the ones that I enjoy the most. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I was looking at some of this as well. I think hubris, arrogance, pride, all the, these qualities. There's, in some cases, it's very Shakespearean with, with, with some of them. Some of them is like the, the fall of the House of Usher, you know, like where the, the big house just collapses in on itself at the end. I, I think that's why some of them in particular, looking back through them, it was just absolutely captivating that how on earth these teams, these people, these establishments, these bastions of their local communities found themselves in such ridiculous positions. Well, let's find out. We'll start with number 10. In fact, before we even begin, I should say this is a two-part podcast. So in part one, Sean and I, we will be discussing numbers 10 to 6. And then in part two, we'll be discussing numbers, yes, if you guessed it, numbers five to one. So in part one, this is 10 to six. So at number 10 is last season's Scottish Cup second round exits. Now, I, I look back through the past 10 years and, and while there's been the odd upset here and there, the one that really stuck out for me was Sterling Albion getting pumped by Lothian Thistle Hutchinson Vale in 2017. I can't remember as many upsets at the one time with as many established SPFL teams getting put out by jobbers from the East of Scotland League in particular. Now, where you, uh, are you actually meaning the second round? Because you initially said to me the third round, so we may have a slight issue. Ah, <laughs> I beg your pardon, yes. I was looking at the, there we go, there's our first issue. We started by saying, yes, we've, we've come together. We wanted to avoid all this discussion. Why don't we just condense it as to, to last season's early cup exits for the lower league sides. There we go. That's, that's the easiest way to stay. I can start by talking about the second round, and then you can follow up by talking about what happened next. Right, off to a panic. Lady. The, the panic when I thought to myself, I didn't watch any second round highlights. I watched a lot of <laughs> third round highlights. We'll look, at the, we'll look at the second round, first of all, because there's a few embarrassing results. The, the ones that stuck out is uh, Auchinleck Talbot 1, Cove Rangers 0. Granted that Auchinleck Talbot are a, a relatively big club and probably, in terms of stature, on par with Cove Rangers. Uh historically but I, I I wouldn't necessarily say now I mean bearing in mind would, would you expect would you expect that Auchinleck team to run away with the run away with a fourth tier title I, I, I don't know if I would 
No, and, no. And I think beforehand, I think before Cove spent the amount of money they they have on that current squad, then yeah, I'd, I'd say it was a, a fairly even Stevens fixture. Uh, but but not now. I mean, I, no, I think no. that, that that Cove team that won uh, League Two is almost certainly a, a decent League One team. Yeah, okay, okay, I, I take that back. Several, well, it was an upset anyway, just in terms of league positions. Albion Rovers drew 1-1 with Fort William, Cowden Beath drew 1-1 with Broxburn Athletic, and perhaps, certainly the, the, one of the lowest points I've had following Stenhouse-Muir, Pennycook Athletic 3, Stenhouse-Muir 0. Uh, and then there was replays, and Broxburn Athletic ended up thumping Cowden Beath 3-0, uh, but Albion Rovers were able to turn around uh, Fort William and beat them, uh, put five past them. The, the, the match at... at uh, uh, Penny Cook Athletic, I say it was it was an absolutely dreadful performance, probably the deer I've seen from Stennis Muir, and they were Stennis Muir were comprehensively outplayed from the first kick of the ball to the final whistle. It was nil nil at the interval, but it could have been easily three goals to uh, Penny Cook Athletic, and then they scored two goals within ten minutes after the restart, and then suckered Stennis Muir on the counter attack. It was a very very efficient performance, a very clinical performance, I would say, from Penny Cook Athletic, but the. The, the bit that I really wanted to highlight was as the match was going on, there was I was standing next to someone who I'm going to assume was a, a Pennycook supporter. And and he said, it wasn't so much a conversation, more like a long-distance conversation, you know, like where, where some gobshite is saying something and you can't help but get involved in. You're not, you're not next to each other, but you're about six feet away from each other. But he was saying that there's no difference between the East of Scotland League and the the League Two, and I thought, well, well, no, there, there's a huge difference b- between the pair of them. I thought of Pennycook Athletic. Gra- granted, they took on a Stenhousemuir team who were not in good. Well, at that time, they were in decent form, but who hadn't made a, a good start to the season. We're still adjusting to life under Dave Irons. I think if that Pennycook Athletic team were to be playing in the SPFL, they would be thumped on a weekly basis. I think yeah. that was just a storm where Pennycook Athletic were tremendous, Stenhousemuir were not. And then it resulted in a, a cup upset. And, and and should, we should maybe point out at this point that a week or two before, you'd been vetoed for having a section on the TV show that was uh, that, that you were going to talk about. Where it was, uh, it's the dawn of the Irons Age, baby, about uh, about how Stenny were, were about to improve under his under his his tutelage. And 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 you know what I am. Absolutely glad that Andy Mass, our producer, put his foot down and said editorially, "You've been speaking about them too much." Because I, I would have looked like an idiot on on the television. I mean, in fact, actually, the week after, I when we did our banker bus predictions, I said that Cowden Beef would beat Broxburn Athletic in the replay. I said that, well, you know, Broxburn. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Cowden Beef won't make the same mistakes twice. They will have learned from that. They won't be as complacent. And that turned out to be um, ridiculous. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that it was pulled up for it. Uh, so I, I thought that was a really embarrassing day for, for SPFL teams. I, I, I go into bat for lower league teams a lot. And I really don't like the, the idea that people will look at certain teams and think, oh, they're dead wood. They don't really add anything to it. There's not much difference. But there should be a difference. There should be a difference. There, there are tiers. There are people playing at higher levels in front of bigger crowds getting paid more money because they are better players. And I think that one result was unfortunate, but to have three, four, if you include the, the draw between Fort William and Albion Oars, it's just very unfortunate. See, see I, I suppose it's, 
I suppose it, it, it's kind of relevant to the point you're making that there's no difference between the East of Scotland League and, and League Two. So I remember when, so when Claude and Elka obviously put that, <laughs> put that squad of players together, uh, Wraith Rovers, and then uh, so he was there for seven or eight games. Gordon DL would eventually take over. And there was this theory that the team that Anelka had put together was no better than the, the, the average junior team. Mm-hmm. Now, Wraith were in the second tier at the time, and I think they only lost one or two games by more than a single goal. Right, so okay. all, all the defeats that they had, there was only one or two that was more than a, a single goal. If you'd stuck the average junior team in the Scottish Championship, that, that, or the, the Scottish First Division as it would have been at that time, they would have been absolutely scalped mm-hmm. every single week. They would have been conceding five, six, seven. So again, I suppose it kind of builds into this. No, that there is a massive difference between the East of Scotland League and, and League Two, just like there is a, a big difference between the juniors and, and league football. However, on, on any given day, that that bridge can be can, can be gapped. Of bridge can be crossed, of course it can. A big occasion, there was about 1,200 people at Penny Cook's ground. I, 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 I won't pretend to know how the, the, their average attendance, but I, I would wager that that was probably their highest attendance, certainly by that season, probably their highest attendance in a number of years. For, for a game like that, and it's be, I think it's just it's a very tight pitch, you are, you're so close to I don't want to make excuses for Stansmere, because they, they were absolutely dreadful in the day, but I, I think that you play you replay that game nine times out of ten. I think the Warriors would would have won it. But it was an that was an embarrassing day for for the SPFL. Tell me about the third round. I haven't researched it, Sean. So you're going to have to tell me all about what happened and it happened next. Third round, we had uh, East Fife losing to BSC Glasgow. Which oh was, yeah, was that four three? Which which was an odd an odd shock in that it, it doesn't normally happen when. The, the the bigger team goes three one up and then still manages to to lose the game. I mean, three mm. one, you think right, that's that that's that absolutely done and dusted. BSC Glasgow ended up winning uh, and and four three. And and to be fair, BSC Glasgow are a a competent Lowland League team. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up finishing fourth when they, when when the season was pulled. They've got a, a kind of number of former uh, league players, but nobody that nobody that really sticks out. A few players that are that are kind of at the end, coming to the end of their career, guys like. Uh, Martin Green, for example, uh, yes. had an okay career in league football, but again, coming very much coming yes. coming to the end. Of it. Yeah, but I suppose the big one was uh, Bonnie Rose defeating Montreux, uh, Montrose by two yeah. goals to one, because Montrose have had as much as East Fife had a decent season, Montrose have now had a, a very good two seasons uh, under Stuart Petrie, and they probably deserved to, to, to lose that game. Out of the games that I watched, and there were a few shocks on the day, but out of the games that I watched. That was my favourite. In that, the there was no there's no cover on the on the terracing. So when Bonnyrigg were scoring, not only were people celebrating, there was just loads and loads of umbrellas moving up and down. <laughs> people just jumped up and down while holding an umbrella. And it was that, and, and something that I really love when I'm watching the, the highlights of the Scottish Cup. And that when the the match starts, it's kind of. A, a bit gloomy because it's three o'clock and it's winter but by the time the game comes to an end it's now pitch black and yeah, the park yeah, that's, that's has been right, turned yeah. into an absolute quagmire and it was just it was just an absolute kind of slobber knocker of a, of a cup tie but, and Bonnerig did deserve their place in the, in the fourth round but you're, you're absolutely right in terms of the, the second round and third round it was uh, it, it was a bit of a the SPFL got a bit of a bloody nose but I think 
I think scenarios like that might happen more often because there seems to be a number of teams as the uh, as the pyramid opens up. There seems to be a number of certainly board of directors or club owners at that level who seem quite happy to spend to spend money at that level. So I suppose things like this will become uh, more common. Let's hope not, because it's thoroughly embarrassing to drive all the way to some shit tip just outside of Edinburgh and watch your team get absolutely bleached. What's, what's, what's your biggest, what's like the world's biggest cup upset? Uh, I, I was trying to think of this. I've, I've, not, I've not seen us lose to non-league opposition, but I've seen us, we played Linlithgow, Linlithgow Rose in the Scottish Cup when Grant Murray was a manager. Oh, we're yeah. Going, we're going through a really bad run and they, they should have beat us. They, they were the better team uh, David McGurn had a very good game. And it's interesting that you were saying about the you kind of have a conversation with somebody who is close by. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so they kind of turned around and it was like a, it was like a, a kind of gang of pensioners, basically. And they yes. didn't recognise yeah. me. So like, oh, I, the Rover's my, the Rover's mine. I was like, ah, yeah. And then as, as we were kind of getting pummeled into submission, uh, they, they, had a lot of, uh, they had a lot of comments about me. Uh, or, or about Wraith Rovers, I should say. <laughs> I remember at one point he said, uh, "Bet you thought it should be easy. Bet you thought it should be easy." And I'm like, "We've, we've got one win in sixteen, so no, of course, <laughs> absolutely did not think this is going to be easy." I did think we might win, uh, mm. and, and we did. We ended up, I think, we sneaked it two 0 But uh, if it hadn't been for my garden, then yes, that would have been a an ignominious Saturday. Yeah, I've seen us lose to three Rovers. I've seen us lose to Preston Athletic. I have seen us um, being put out by East Kilbride and, and not, a, not a very good East Kilbride team. So, yeah, you used to, you used to minor embarrassments on a, an annual basis, I if, suppose. If you, were told, if, if you were told that all of those exits would happen, however, you got to uh, absolutely body Falkirk out of the cup one year, would, would you take that? Yes, I think I might. What's number nine, Sean? Uh, number nine is Scott Booth's tenure as Stenhouse Muir manager. You know, you know earlier when, when we described stuff as being Shakespearean, I, I, I think this, and, and perhaps some, another example that, that we'll come on to, to later on, but this is Shakespearean. I think this is a classic example of hubris from both the manager and the club. And the, effectively, it is a man... Jettisoning into a position, sort of joining a position, taking charge of a position that he doesn't fully realise what's what at stake, how to handle it, thinks he can, and it ends up consuming him and destroying him. Sadly, it didn't destroy him for real. It just he just lost his job after after twelve months. But I, I looked, I wrote a, 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 a almost an essay for us in Telemis Pelly about five and a half years ago about Scott Booth's time at Stennis Muir. And looking back, I was, I was reading back the, the article and I was thinking, how on earth did that happen? How on earth was this allowed to happen? Who was signing off on some of these ideas? Who were the football people in charge at the club that he, he was running some of these, these ideas past? Because I think on one hand, some of the stuff that Scott Booth tried to do is laudable. However, you can't, shoehorn these ideas into a part-time framework. For instance, he wanted the team to train three nights a week. He wanted to employ a director of football and put in place a recruitment strategy. And he wanted the system where the 
the youth team would train alongside the first team and he could take the better players on the youth team and integrate them in. And these are all admirable ideas, but it's at the stage that, that how is this going to work? Who's paying, who's paying for the expenses? Who's paying for these players to come in every, every other, on, on these extra days? And it just everything he did, just none of it worked. None of it worked. And I think it came at a time... And I noted this and I read the article back. It came at a time, do you remember the period in the early to mid 2010s where smaller clubs hired players who had just retired, players who had just retired, of, of guys who would be household names amongst football supporters. So, for instance, you had Paul Hartley went to Aloe Athletic in 2011. Ian Murray joined Dumbarton in 2012. And Colin Cameron had a lot of success at, at Cowden Beef. So, I think there's a school of thought that if Scott Booth went into Stenhouse Muir, he had an impressive playing career. You know, he played for Aberdeen, played for Scotland, played in the continent. That, that he would imbibe Stenhouse Muir with, I, I, I don't know, so, so some of these great ideas. However, I don't think he, he, was, he could work with part. I don't think he could work with men, actually. I think that was his big problem. I would play five-a-sides at Oakleview, and I would watch training sessions, and th- th- there wasn't any training. It would be effectively the players standing around in a circle while Booth passed instructions to him. There wasn't, there wasn't anything really happening. And, and I remember, I remember when the, the appointment was made and you, uh, you and myself and Craig Fowler were on a podcast and you were very, you were very excited yeah. about the appointment. You thought it was a, a, a huge move forward. And I think, I, I think in theory, and again, because we've had, we've had these decisions, we've had these conversations before about uh, boardroom decisions. Well, on paper, that seemed like a, a solid appointment mm-hmm. because one of the things that one of the things that Paul Hartley did very well when he was moving through the leagues with Alloa was that he was able to, or it appeared that he could call in uh, favors from from yes. people that he had uh, been associated with in the past to get good loan players in. Yeah. It didn't look like Scott Booth was was able to do that, and reading between the lines, it didn't look like he had the the kind of people skills to get his players involved and anybody with any kind of personality was 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 jettisoned from, from that team. Yes, I you, you big John Gemmel. John Gemmel had scored I think he played about 50, 50 odd games and, and scored nearly thirty goals. That's quite an impressive return for, for a striker in, in the lower leagues. Big John, as I mean you've met him <laughs> You've listened to him talk about his time at Montrose where he would uh, train on Thursday nights and spend Tuesday nights eating Domino's pizza and watching <laughs> the Champions League. So perhaps his heart wasn't really in it. However, if you, you need, maybe if you can just get the guy like, to buy into your stuff, buy into what you're trying to sell him, then you can, you can have a good player. But he wasn't interested in doing that. He told Nicky Devlin. Now, Nicky Devlin went on to captain Air United went on to play for two years with Walsall in English League One and is now playing top flight football with Livingston, he told Nicky Devlin that he lacked confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, just, just ridiculous. Told him he lacked confidence. The guys that he brought in, he brought in some, some decent players. I'll, I'll say that. He brought in some decent players. He brought in um, Kieran Miller came in who, who turned out to be a good player for, for Sten. He brought in Colin McMenamin who after a while really proved his worth. Martin Green. Martin Green didn't work out as Dennis Spear, but he was a good signing. But the team that he put together was so disjointed. He didn't have, any, didn't have enough strikers, didn't have enough fullbacks, and 
but all I wanted to sign like these sort of diminutive ball pl- attacking like ball players, and he tried to cram them into this four-two-three-one system, and it, it just didn't work. He didn't know what his best living was. He would change it on a week by week basis, all within this this four-two-three-one framework. The team never won back to back games, and. On, on top of that, he was convicted for drink driving just like four days after he was appointed. It was just, just bad timing. It was, it was strange the timing with Scott Booth. It was Martin Corrigan left Senesphere in January 2014. And, and at the time, I think Martin Corrigan should have gone. I, I don't think he was, he was a good group of players there. I don't think he was necessarily getting the best out of them. But it just coincided really neatly with Scott Booth stepping down from his role with the Scottish FA, and I know there was somebody on the Stennismere board who was quite close to Mark Vota, who was the performance director, and I don't know if there was, listen, help him out here, let's make the transition as smooth as possible. It, it certainly seemed to, to, to go that way, and uh, just it was, it was a bad time. I, a lot of people had lost faith with him, and a lot of people wanted him gone. You're talking into his second season, around November, December, I, I stuck with him and thought he just needs to, you know, he just needs to find, figure out what he's trying to do here, figure out what he's looking to do. And if he can get the right players to fit into this framework, then I think we, we can really kick on. But it's when he let Sean Dixon go to East Fife, and Sean Dixon's not a world beater by, by any means, but he was a popular player. You know, his, his mum and dad became Stennis Weir fans and would come to, the, come to the club. So it was good to see that level of, just engagement with, with, with your football team and when they bent him off to East Fife, that was, it was for me, it was like, nope, this guy's not for me, I, I, I want, him, want him gone. And he was eventually sacked after a match at Peterhead, the team lost, I think it was 2-0, they were beating up at Balmer. And I remember speaking to someone on the board and he just said, it's like, it wasn't just the fact we were being beaten, it was like the team might as well not have shown up given how, how, how poor they were. And everyone was delighted that him going. I think the players seemed happy that, it, that it was, there was something lifted from the club. But I think that the long-term damage that Scott Booth's appointment has done, I think we are still feeling that years down the line in terms of him spunking money. I mean, there's one of the things that he... They bought a, a substitute board, you know, that you hold up with the, the numbers that, that come on. He spent a couple of thousand pounds in this. It was used about twice and then never seen again. And it's like, who's signing off on this? That's the other thing. Well. Who's, who's signing off on this? But Scott Booth, just the, the wrong man at the wrong time, couldn't communicate with the experienced players, couldn't manage a budget, didn't make training fun for players to attend. I think that's important for part-time level. Just everything he did was wrong. And I think he's the worst manager I've ever seen at Stennis Muir. And the fact that, you know, when he joined Stenny, and his first meet the manager for him, he said, this is how I started that article in Taylor's Pelly. He said, I, at the end of the day, I don't want to be at Stennisphere all my days. I want to move on to bigger and better things. And no disrespect to Glasgow City, but he's been there for five years and I don't think he would have seen himself there after he left the Scottish FA. I've, I've heard you uh, on the, the, the Pelly podcast talking to a lot of part-time players and they a lot of them mention the fact that when it comes to part-time training, when you're training for whatever it is, two and a half, three hours on a Tuesday night or, or two hours on a Thursday night, it needs to be fun, yeah. And the fact that he couldn't he couldn't make those training sessions fun, and the fact that the the, the players were delighted that he was that, that he was let go, I, I think says a lot. Because mm-hmm. I would imagine, I would imagine that there's been a lot of scenarios where you've had poor managers and they're sacked, and his uh, his playing squad have been dismayed 
because yeah. ah, he's maybe not a great manager and that's maybe not a good pool of players but they still wanted to do the best for him yes. but the fact that the, the squad was pretty pretty delighted that he was at the door probably speaks speaks volumes you remember the John Gemmell telling a story it's I think it was the first training session he had the, the three possession boxes and he was like in this box here this is the Champions League the second box this is Scotland and the third box that's the, the Premiership that's the SPL if you've played in any of those divisions go into those boxes now obviously I can't be in all three boxes at once and I remember thinking that is probably his way of making a joke, like trying to be funny, but it just doesn't translate well. I've, I've had that. I've had a boss, and I know there's different contexts of like working in an office to, 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 to being a football team, but I've had a boss who was just a, a very strange person and, and really struggled to communicate. So at the times that they, they, they were trying to be funny, it just didn't work at all, and you just felt incredibly awkward like being around them. I remember I actually couldn't even look this person in the eye. I found them, found them, them, them so awkward. So maybe that, that's it with, uh, with Scott Booth. But I think, I was trying to think of other examples of, of managers who had, who had successful playing careers before dropping down into the lower leagues. And I don't know if that's old hat now, if, if teams have, have moved away from, from, from that, that signing those, those sorts of managers. It, it felt like it was a trend that, that actually didn't last very long. Yeah, so it was like landfill indie. But then, incidentally, I was just going to say what you described there in terms of going to that box if they're Champions League and going to that box, it, that was, even just listening to that is quite cringy. Yeah, I, it's, it's like you're playing, you're, you're playing with guys who part-time players, I'm trying to think that maybe a couple of them might have played top-flight football in the past. Sean Higgins would have played top-flight football John Gemmell played for Partick this in the top five for a week. That might have been it. But it's just don't... It's just, you're just putting people's backs up but by doing it. I do think that the squad of players that he had, there were some good players in it. I remember thinking, are the players, should the players take a bit more responsibility for this? But I thought, well, no, because he, he just used them wrong. He just used them all wrong. Just, just terrible. So I don't want to turn this... I think this is the last time we're going to mention Stennis. We mentioned them in, in, for number 10, mentioned them for number 9. We'll move on. Move on to number eight. And you'll like this one. This is Dunfermline Athletic finishing seventh place in League One in 2014-2015. Without a doubt, the worst finish from a full-time team in recent memory. And Well, in, in my lifetime, and being around my lifetime, is, is that bit longer than most. <laughs> Dunfermline, that Dunfermline 2014-15 team for my money, are the worst full-time team in, in my lifetime. To finish to finish seventh in, in League One, bearing in mind they were, I mean, to give it a bit of context, they'd finished runners-up to Rangers yeah. the, the season previously. And fair enough, they'd lost uh, to Ross Forbes, had, had moved on in the summer. Uh, Ross, Ross Forbes didn't move on in the summer. Ross Forbes moved on in January. He was a swap deal. He went to Morton. And Andy Barman went Andrew to Dunfermline. Sorry, Andy Barman. Okay, okay. Uh, but Which they... was the Andy Barman scored twice, and 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 two, he scored two goals in a three-two win over Steny. Barely kicked the ball. Other than that, and Ross Forbes was arguably, next to Declan McManus, Morton's best player in the running. Morton, of course, were going for the title alongside Sunrar and Forfra Athletic. It wasn't a great Morton side, despite the fact they were full time. But in terms of swap deals, that was a particularly bad piece of business. 
Well, well, in that case, the only player they lost—that makes it even worse because the only <laughs> player they really, the only player they really lost in the summer, key player they lost in the summer was uh, Callum Morris, who would eventually come back after spells at uh, Dungeon United in, in Aberdeen, uh, I think. But you, but you look at the you, you look at the team that they still had. I think defensively they were fragile at best. They they still had a young team. Uh, I mean, they had Scully and goals. Their, their back four was young at the, at the time. You know what I think worth pointing out, Sean? I think what's worth pointing out is that at the start of the season, Dunfermline were expected to win that division. They had signed, or even going back further, you know, they, they'd, finished, they'd finished second to Rangers the previous season. And I think Rangers scooshed League One. I think Rangers only dropped six points all season. Dunfermline finished in second place, comfortably in second place, but their form particularly over the latter half of the season, they were never going to challenge Rangers at the top, but they were so far ahead from the teams beneath them that there wasn't really much for them to play for. They went into the, the playoffs, they narrowly beat Stranraer, and in the first leg of the final, they played Cowdenbeath, they drew 1-1 with Cowdenbeath, and in the second leg at East End Park, that's when Cowdenbeath annihilated them 3-0, scored after about 27 seconds. Brilliant Cowdenbeath side. And I'd say that match is, is, maybe that's a podcast actually, the best playoff matches and in um, and, and, and history of the lower leagues, but that match there, the 3-0 game. So I think Dunfermline's like, well, we need to get out. We need to get out of this division. So they signed Andy Sterling from Strath. It was all really sensible signings. They signed, they signed, they cherry-picked the best players. They signed Andy Sterling from Stranraer. They signed Gregor Buchanan from Airdrionians. And they signed Michael Moffat from Air United. So I do think they were young but they were augmented by guys who I think could have walked into any other team in the division. And and, and being in mind, they still had, uh, at that point, they still had Josh Falkingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still had Andy Gagan. Yep. They had uh, Faisal El Baktoui yep. on, on their books. I mean, this was, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they had a fantastic start in 11, but they had, they had, uh, they had the kind of core of a, of a, of a very good team mm-hmm. and, and for that team to be conceding I mean they weren't just losing games they were conceding threes fours fives I mean they, they started the season they started the season reasonably well and then it just added their form absolutely disappeared uh, off, off a cliff and whether whether Jim Jeffries might have been the man whether they could have turned them around uh, I, I don't know I thought I thought the appointment of uh John Potter was an interesting appointment. I mean, he was he was largely considered a, a, a good coach. He'd done very well with under level, 20s. But very thing. inexperienced. Yeah. It's, he'd done well with under 20s. I'm sure they might have won the under 20 division that season. I might be wrong. I probably am wrong. But I know he'd done very well with them. But you're right. There was, there was no upturn. I think he was actually worse in terms of the set of results that he got. And I think particularly, as you're mentioning, to, towards the, the, the end of the season, results just disappeared off a cliff. I've written some of the notable ones down. They were beating 5-1 at Stranraer. Dreadful. I remember watching the highlights for that. It was, it was a horrible conditions. But Stranraer, that was a good Stranraer team. That was Stevie Aitken's Stranraer team. That was a really good Stranraer team. They, they finished in the playoffs, didn't they? Aye, they, they came close to winning the league. Uh, it was, I think it was a penultimate game where Morton beat them 2-0 at Stair Park, but but regardless, five one at home to Stranraer, four nil five one at Stranraer, four nil at home to Greenock Morton. They lost three nil at Brecon City and lost three one at Four for Athletic, and it was just, it was just a just. I think that the players, everyone associated with the club, was like, "Geez, oh, let's just get this season over and done with it, and let's go again." 
And the fact, if you're a full-time team in a part-time division, there are some instances where you might find yourself slightly off the pace, slightly off pace for whatever reason. You know, if, you, if you've, say if it's all young guys, it's all like teenagers you've got, you know, you're like a crap full-time team. But what you saw from that Dunfermline team, you're absolutely right. That is without a doubt the worst full-time team. Yeah, that's the worst full-time team I, I can think of. The, the only one, the only one that could potentially compare is, remember when Airdrie decided to go completely full time? Now I, I don't think they finished as low as seventh. They got into the playoffs. I'm sure. I'm, I'm yeah, sure they, 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 I mean, got, they got into conceded, the conceded, conceded a ridiculous amount of goals, but they, as you say, they, they still went to the playoffs. I, I, I thought it was interesting. You, you mentioned that. So, so your, your article that, that you mentioned about uh, Scott Booth. You said that. Uh, that league, what you mentioned in that the League One could be a kind of nasty, dirty place. Mm-hmm. Do you mean League One, or do you just mean the lower leagues in, in general? Because I thought that was quite interesting. Because I don't think Dunfermline had that about them. So, so I, I think about League One teams. So when Rafe Rovers were going for the title with Air United, Air United had a, a nasty streak about them, and I, I mean it in a good way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that they could bully opponents, and they could intimidate opponents, and they could leave a bit on opponents, but get away with it. Uh, they, they, they kind of played right on the edge. Wraith Rovers never had that. Wraith could allow themselves to be intimidated. And, and Dunfermline, Dunfermline just got bullied for that entire season. And, and maybe it was because they, they had a, a lot of young players. I, I'm not sure. But they certainly, they weren't up to the, to the rigours of what is a, a rough league, for want of a better description. Mm-hmm. I think they were let down, though, by, by some of the players. I think that, that in, terms of, like, in terms of rough guys, you look at a guy like, like Josh Falkingham, for instance. I, I really like Josh Falkingham. I think, were you speaking about him on a podcast recently, talking about Josh Falkingham? I know I, I talk about him just how much I dislike him, so possibly. That was it. That's, I listened to your Classic 11. That's where I was. I was out for a run, and I listened to your Classic 11 podcast, and you mentioned Josh Falkingham. And I, I really liked I. I I didn't really like him, but I could admire him as a player because he's the sort of guy I would have liked to see in my team. Him and Andy Gagan aren't the sort of guys that get pushed around. At that time, Gregor Buchanan's career was very much on an upward curve. He'd gone from junior football to playing part-time football with Airdrie to going full-time football with Dunfermline. I think he was only one of the, the, the few players to, to emerge with any credit. Michael Moffat, dearie me, he, he did become a good player for Dunfermline. That season, however... There was a game, Stenhousemuir beat them 1-0 in November. And this was Scott Booth, Stenhousemuir, that, that, that beat them 1-0. Chris Folds scored the, the goal, but towards the end of the game, the ball got tossed in for Michael Moffat, and he put a header past the post from three yards out. And Michael Moffat wouldn't have done that at Air United. I just think that whatever was, was going on at that club, the, the malaise that had suckered in these players, had just really taken all the goodness out of them. And I'm not necessarily thinking it was it was like a, like a, a, the, the the club lacked the team sorry the players lacked cynicism or that that degree of just being a bit bastardly when you're on the pitch. I just think that there was something not right there that Jim Jeffries couldn't work out that uh, John Potter couldn't work out. But I don't know if it was the the expectations of, of having to win a division. I don't know what it is, but they, yeah, they were they were rubbish. However, I'd say however, it's all worked out well enough for them now. I, you know, very much so they, they, they turned around and, and fair play to them. The, the only thing I was going to add was, I, I don't know if you remember it or even if you, you noticed it, uh, but maybe in the build-up to uh, last season, I think, the Stranraer website ran a, a kind of Q&A with 
Uh, I, I don't know if it was their current squad or players of the of the past. Ah, they've done it with Gareth, classic guy, classic players. Yeah, and it was uh, I, I can't even remember who the player was, but he was he was at Stranraer that season, right. and he was asked about his. Uh, I think he was asked about his favourite game, and he chose the Scottish Cup tie between Dunfermline and Stranraer that took place that season. So Dunfermline, uh, the Scottish Cup tie, the, the first tie was at Stranraer. Dunfermline were 2 0 up. Uh, Stranraer scored two in the last 10 minutes. I think Willie Gibson scored an injury time to make it 2 2. And I actually, I actually watched the highlights back for this bit. It cut off just before, but I remember Neil McCann was on the park and had to get dragged away for some Stranraer player because he was, he was involved in a melee. And yeah. they said that for the replay at East End Park, they'd, they'd never been so fired up for a game because they just wanted to they just wanted to get it right up. <laughs> Neil McCann. And uh, they ended up winning anyone in Stranraer won three one that night. And uh, and and Dunfermline looked like a as he did for the, the, the bulk of that season they were they were a sorry looking bunch. Of course McCann was Jeffy's assistant, wasn't he? Yeah. Ah that that's right. I'm sure there was there was stuff where he would be working on uh, with Sky Sports in the morning I don't know if this is true or not he was working with Sky Sports in the early afternoon and when the games would finish he would jump in his car and hightail it to wherever Dunfermline were playing I think he'd yeah, sometimes right. get there for, for the second half maybe that was it maybe Neil McCann's influence was, was he, he wasn't there for the first half of games I need to check that as to when, when Dunfermline Athletic lost the bulk of their goals that season judging, judging by his career at Dundee I, I doubt they got better when he arrived God, he's just, you know, I quite like Neil McCann as a pundit. I think he's got interesting things to say. I think he expresses himself well. But seeing the sidelines, he's just a gobshite. That's, if I was a Stranraer player, that'd be like, yeah, I would want Neil, Neil McCann's face just nailed to the, the dressing. You know that, that they pin it up in the dressing room, just a picture of Neil McCann stuck to the wall and just be like, that's it, I am going to, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going out there to hurt you, hurt your feelings. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was good, Dunfermline, the worst full-time team in the. Uh, said, aye, that's it. Aye, that, that's the worst full-time team. That's an embarrassment. That, that, that's that's terrible. Embarrassment. What's number seven? Uh, number seven is Falkirk's relegation. Something that I I know you you thoroughly enjoyed. Let's be brutally honest here. Most of us enjoyed it. Most non-Falkirk fans thoroughly enjoyed it. Acutely embarrassing. That's what I've got in my notes. An acutely embarrassing season in the club's history. The first time in 38 years that they were relegated. And I remember, I think it was after they played Ross County in the final day of the season, they won 3-2, but results went against them. They were relegated via goal difference. And the interviewer says to, says to Ray McKinnon, he said, you know, so we're, we're going down into League One. We're going into third tier been since the I think it's like since the the eighties early eighties even now I can't even remember the last time forward in here and McKinnon is just very sadly nodding his head. And this is uh, what I've got down here, Sean. I think this is a lesson for clubs who want to consider outsourcing their their transfer policy to a recruitment agency. Uh, very much so. Their, uh, their their transfer or their, their signing policy in the summer was fucking terrible. <laughs> it was. It was. It's like we'll, we'll I, was say, I was going to say unusual. Uh, I, I suppose I am right, but but you're more correct. It, it was. I, I tell you, I, I tell you what I thought was quite interesting. It's an unusual way for a team, I think, to get relegated. And I suppose now them and Patrick Thistle have went down that route. In that, 
So Falkirk had, had uh, obviously been in a relegation fight for maybe half a season, the season previous, and then they, uh, Hartley had come in and they ended up 17 points clear of relegation. Right, that, that's fine. Falkirk will now be, they'll, they'll go back to being the, the big championship team or the small premiership team that, that you expect Falkirk to be. That's it now. Their dalliances with the bottom of the second tier will now end. Hartley has got a team that looks functional, decent. You know, they're on a, a good run. He maybe doesn't need to do that much to make them a, a fairly decent championship team. And then that was ripped up and then some absolute nobodies came in. Yes, I, th- I think it's, it's worth looking at that, that Falkirk has, has been a tumultuous time for, for, for the Bairns over the last few years. I think it was the, when, when Paul Hartley came, I think that you really have to, to, to go back to, I think it was the after a couple of games into the 17-18 season, Paul Hartley came and he replaced Peter Houston. I think there's still a bit of debate amongst our supporters as to whether or not it was the right thing to do to move, move Houston on. But Hartley... Hartley had, had changed a lot. If you depend on who you talk to, Hartley had changed a lot from the, the, the sort of like the, the hard but easy going guy who was at Aloha to a, a bit more of a, a ruthless prospect. And he, I don't know if it was true or not, the story at the time was Lee Miller and Mark Kerr wanted the dual management role to, to replace Peter Houston. I think they applied for it. The job went to Paul Hartley and he was very keen to move on. Hartley and he was very keen to move on Lee Miller and Mark Kerr so much so to the extent I'm sure that Lee Miller was effectively sacked from the club on Christmas Eve he came out and said that he came out and said that in inter- interviews he was effectively sacked on, on Christmas Eve that winter as well the club shut down their youth academy at that point the youth academy it, it was it was losing money I think think it was actually for, for all the acclaim that it got it brought through they made money on guys like Jay Fulton Conor McGrandles, Botti Biabi, Ryan Blair, they sold them on to like Swansea, Norwich, etc. And, and, and made a bit of money for, from them. But it wasn't justifying the running cost. So they had to shut it down and, and just concentrate on the first team. I'm sure I read an article earlier today, they, they, they saw how Brentford operated and they operated without a youth team. All the money was, was channeled into, into that first team and they, they wanted to replicate it. So the club closed down the youth academy, spent a lot of money, as you say, giving Paul Hartley the funds to sign players to to move them away from a a relegation battle. And and so it proved. They they finished well above Dumbarton that season. But that summer, Hartley brought in a guy, his name's Richard Mitchell, I'm going to call him Ricky Mitchell. I I, I just like calling Richard's Ricky. As, as you'll as you'll be no doubt be familiar with, but but Ricky Mitchell had previously been at Ross County, and he was a scout who had apparently had good contacts in the north of England that would allow Falkirk to expand their scope. They wanted to move away from just bringing in players from the Central Belt, which is an interesting idea in itself. But instead, they went about embarking on the worst recruitment drive. I think it, I think it might be one of the worst recruitment drives I, I think I've I, I've seen just to sign so many players and only like maybe one, two of them like not not a success but be okay. I think that is extraordinary. I think, and I know I know I know you and I had this discussion before, but I I think a lot of the decisions Falkirk made 
on paper looked okay. I think they were all done. I mean, and, and, and even and even mean like so so to this season and kind of so after Hartley. So in terms of, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily agree with closing down the academy. So if it was, if it's not making money though, I think that there was if, if it was losing money, I really understand that. I think that the outcry that it was really that 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 or how how can you do this when it's when it's brought through so many great players? But I think it was the perception. Was very different to the the reality of actually running it. I think I think a point in the Hartley on paper seemed mm-hmm. like a decent decision at the time. Uh, in terms of appointing somebody who had apparently a decent track record of signing players for for Ross County and opening up their, their expansion of where they could bring in players from on paper seems like a decent idea. I mean, bearing in mind Inverness, for example, has had a lot of success with bringing in unknown players from yep. the, the lower leagues in England. So that doesn't seem that daft. Getting I, I, rid of Hartley I, I, I and bringing in Ray McKinnon on paper seems like a decent idea. You so know, in terms I, of, because we often talk about the fact that clubs sometimes live and die by decisions in the, the boardroom. I don't think this example is, is one of those decisions. No, I think that we'll come on to talk about some other clubs where I think that a lot of the things that, that Falkirk, I think it was a season where every decision was wrong. Yeah, every decision every decision the Falkirk board made was wrong and, and was thus proven to be wrong. However, I would agree with you and I think that a lot of the stuff was done in good faith. We'll talk about other examples <laughs> further down the line but that, that sort of parallel Falkirk that were just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> whereas, whereas this, like on paper, it makes sense. But can, can, can we go through the, the, the players that they send in? Can, can I uh, read the players out as if I was Norm MacDonald at the YouTube Awards? Yes. Sean, we have all the stars. Tom Dallison, <laughs> Patrick Bruff, Ben and Lewis, Scott Harrison, Leo Fazan is here, Tom Owen Evans, Ruben Samet, Dylan Mackin, Dan Turner, Marcus Haber, all the stars are here. <laughs> see, see, see I, I was thinking that it was as a risk uh, bringing in players who are complete unknown quantities, which I would imagine those guys from England were. Yes. But some of the signings who were known quantities from other Scottish clubs were very strange as well because Marcus Haber didn't have a particularly good track record. Uh, Leo Fasan had been pretty yeah. poor. Uh, Fruxilius was was a kind of cult player from Dumbarton, but at no point did I think he could be a very good full-time player for a team looking to challenge at the top of the championship. Uh, someone had been, I think uh, Ricky Mitchell had been spending too much time on Fraser Clark's Twitter account. Let's be honest, when they signed, <laughs> they signed Fruxilius, they, they, they looked at a mark and said, this guy, this guy must be good because this, this boy, this boy is saying, so that's no disrespect to Fraser. I mean, Fraser's, uh, Fraser's great fun, but he is, he'd admit to himself that he's a mark. The ones that they did sign, I think the only signings that they made in the summer that, that they worked out Paul Payton was fine Demantius Petrovicius joined from Motherwell he was okay but some of the other guys that they brought in fuck me Dylan Mackin who they signed Paul Hartley signed and then he was like binned off within a couple of months to, to Sterling Albion where he still is never in a million years did he look 
anywhere near capable enough or fit enough to be to be playing in the, in the Scottish Championship. I made notes of a couple of the players. The, the, the worst ones, Mackin was one of them. Leo Fazan. You'll talk to Falkirk supporters. He only played something like 18 games that season. There'll be supporters that'll say he's the worst goalkeeper that, that, that Falkirk have ever had. Just, he was like a phantom. He was there and he wasn't there. Shots would just mysteriously disappear through his body and end up in, in the back of the net. Like a hologram. I like it like a hot a spectre, you know, like some sort of fantastical uh, like apparition. I think the worst though, the, the, the worst player, and I, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, Denon Lewis was probably the worst player there who came now, was, from... was, was Denon Lewis the, the numpty that ended up in Love Island? Yes. Denon Lewis is is, is I, I I don't watch Love Island, so I can't say if he was any good or not. But but my lasting impression of Denon Lewis there was a game against Dunfermline. I think it was just before the New Year. I would have been it was like the twenty ninth of December. There was a cross that came in. I think Falkirk were chasing it. A cross that came in. Denon Lewis in the six yard line. Do you know what I'm talking about here? When yep, Lewis in the six yard line, and rather than attacking the ball. He almost shields it, shields the defender and allows the ball to run across him. Then he goes and controls it and tries to bring someone else in play. And you're thinking, Mike, what, is, what on earth is going through your head? What on earth is going through your head to, to, to not attack the ball? You attack it, you, you'll get it on target. You put something on it, you'll, you'll get it on target and, and you, you'll likely score just given the, how, how, how far out you are. But just, just horrendous, horrendous player and, and just someone who the fans didn't like him. Obviously, there was the whole thing as well, and I think this is this is something I was going to come on to, but it's probably pertinent to talk about now. That highlighted how awful the relationship was between the board at the time and the supporters. There was a match against Dennis Muir in the Scottish Cup. Falkirk were beaten four two, and some of their supporters sitting in the main stand were accused of of racially abusing. Denon Lewis and it was it seemed to be someone heard someone say something and and rather than, than conduct a, a sort of investigation into what happened that the club somebody might need to correct me so I don't want to I don't, uh, forgive me I'm saying this incorrectly the, the, the club published and said that, that yeah that a fan has been charged with shouting race abuse at Denon Lewis fast forward to the end of the season and it turned out that wasn't the case at all the club had to, to release an apology so you tarnish someone's uh, name it was just. It was, the, just the, was it not in the Sun? Was it the Sun ran a report first, then Falkirk condemned it, but actually at that point nothing had, had been proven or, or actually really held? So it could be that, that, that. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. I think, I think that season as well, the, one of the, the Falkirk had numerous bad performances, numerous bad performances. A Stenhouse Muir, that was a really bad Stenhouse Muir team. And end up getting the seat, end up being relegated at the end of that season. They ran over the top of Falkirk. Falkirk scored scored two goals in the first half, and it gave the impression they were in the match, but they never really were. Stenshaw, anytime Stenshaw went forward, they looked as though they were going to score. I think perhaps even more alarming than that was it was Paul Hartley's last game. That was when they were defeated at home to Queen of the South, August 2018. Stephen Dobby got a hat trick. And every single goal. Stephen, tremendous finishing. I'd say that tremendous levels of finishing by, by Stephen Dobby. But every single goal, you're thinking, what? How on earth was that allowed to happen? What, one of the goals he scores from a throw-in. You know, he, the ball's thrown in, his marker's switched off, and he basically just like sends a little sand wedge lob over the goalkeeper. I think the goalkeeper was standing on his line. <laughs> 
he was chipped on his line. The second one, the ball gets played through. I think it's Gary Harkins plays the ball through to him. And the boy, Harrison, I'm sure he's got like a, a five-yard head start on him, like a 35-year-old. But Dobby out, outpaces him, then outmuscles him, and then, then fires into the corner. And the third one, just Dobby just runs through. There's nobody, nobody marking, and Dobby runs through. And this is the one where the ball seemed to pass through Leo Fazan. The, the, the goal defied physics, but that's because Leo Fazan isn't made. Leo Fazan's a phantasm. It just it, it, it shows you it shows you how bad they were for the first half of that season, and that they they only lost three matches out of the last seventeen league games of, of that season under Ray McKinnon, and yet still got relegated. And we should probably use this point to mention a, a, another match uh, against Queen of South, which yeah, forgot that down ultimately here. would condemn them. Aye, that was the. <laughs> That was an astonishing game of football. I mean, I, I, before we go on to talk about that, I think it's worth talking about that Ray McKinnon had to turn the squad over in January. Ray McKinnon was gradually turning the squad over, bringing players in, letting people go. So if you include that and then the January transfer window, that was three successive transfer windows where Falkirk had completely, field, like basically feeling a different 11 from what would have been at the start of the season. I think for I think for this season alone, I think for this season alone, they signed over thirty players. I th- I, th- I, th- I think that that must be about right. See in Wikipedia here, I won't, I won't go counting through. Yeah, including loan signings. I don't think you're far off. I really don't think you're far off. So I think that the board, you know, something is, is if you're a manager, you, you I think that's what you should do as a board. You should be allowed give your manager the opportunity. You hand off unless you've got a, like a specific structure in place. You hand off transfers to your manager. That's what he's paid for. He's paid for his, his nous and, and, and to know what it is to build a squad together. So a lot of the decisions, like the decision to, to, let, to, to give Ray McKinnon money was a, a good one. You should mention as well that it ended up costing them £60,000 to sign Ray McKinnon from Greenock Morton. <laughs> you know? <laughs> another, another bad decision. It's, I, I, I read the report that Falkirk FC clearly induced all three employees, that would be the, the Darren Taylor assistant manager and someone else, all three employees of Greenock Morton directly or indirectly to terminate their respective contracts and did so without the consent of Greenock Morton. So effectively, they were, they were, they were tapped up. And there's, there's stories there as well about what was going on behind the scenes at, at, at Morton. I don't want to say, that, say them in case um, somebody threatens my family, you know. But, but so it comes to this match against Queen of the South. This was in Dumfries in early April. Big ramifications at the bottom of the table. I think the match had been very even Stevens up until the very end. Falkirk have a shot inside the penalty box. It hits Lyndon Dykes in the hand. Falkirk get the penalty. Davis Keeler Dunn scores the penalty and runs over to the Falkirk support. And it was a Tuesday night and Falkirk had brought through a pretty big crowd. 92nd minute winner. Massive game, three points, runs over to the support. The Falkirk supporters spill onto the pitch and there's a bit of a rammy and it takes a little bit of time to, to get the pitch cleared. Davis Keeler Dunn is sent off for his over-exuberance and the referee, Barry Cook, has really no choice but to add on another couple of minutes. <laughs> Queen of the South go down the other end. Stephen Dobby, well, I think that exaggerates the contact that, um, that Kieran Dunn uh, so Kieran McKenna uh, made in him gets the penalty and puts it away 
And I remember at the time, uh, sort of the end of the season, thinking Falkirk supporters were perhaps these these were, were to blame for yeah. in some more way. So, more so than the players, more so than the managers, <laughs> more so than the board. The Falkirk fans are the ones that need to have a long, hard look at themselves. But, but I mean, you know, they, after that match, you know, if they did, if they'd won those two points, they wouldn't have been relegated. But they claimed that they were in eighth place. That point took them into eighth place. But their form after that was really bad. They lost three of the next four matches. And they went into the final game of the season needing to beat Ross County and hoping that Alloa wouldn't get anything from their match against Air United. All Alloa needed was a point to stay up because they, they had a poorer goal difference than, than, than Falkirk. So they just needed, they, that, that was like an extra, that, the goal difference was a pretty big factor. And where Falkirk were, were quite good against the Ross County side who had already won promotion to, to the Premiership. Um, Allo Athletic drew 1-1 with uh, Air United and, and, and stayed up and there was really there was angry scenes outside the match where the supporters confronted the board and were, were, were slamming cars I can understand where that anger would come from but it's you're going to the you're going back to the, the saying that the, I think what Falkirk did that season other than the the bad thing was the, the the accusing the fan of abusing Den and Lewis that was that was really poor and then having to apologise it was a huge climb down most of the decisions in terms of the recruitment and the managers I think you're right they weren't on paper bad decisions but it pretty much it, it was like the anti Midas touch anything that Margaret Young signed off on just turned to human shit can you can can you understand uh, fans that get so angry that they accost uh, the, the board after a game. And not I like can. If, I if can. I've seen Ruth Rovers get relegated, I just I just fuck off home in a huff and have my tea. I, 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 when I was younger, I used to get wound up by stuff like that. I think as, as I've got older and, and realised that, you know, Stennis Muir are, are really a, a mediocre side and you should just, just enjoy it. Like, for instance, on, on Tuesday night, there was a live stream of their match against East Fife. It was the first time I had the opportunity to watch the Warriors since March, thinking, brilliant, I can't wait to see this. Pumped 5-1, thinking, I hate this club. <laughs> you know? So it's perhaps that you, you mail out a wee bit when you get older, but when I was younger, I used to get really worked up by stuff. When I'm watching the games, I get worked up by them. Like, I get angry at, at things happening. I, I shout things. I'm in the wee control room working the Tano at View. I get, I get worked up by stuff. But you kind of realise fundamentally it doesn't matter. However, I think when when, when Falkirk is a, is a club, I know you say shouldn't. There's no shouldn'ts in football, shoulds and shouldn'ts. But Falkirk as a club are, are too big a club to be playing in the, the Scottish third tier. The, 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 the Falkirk, I've said it before, Falkirk could be a, a, a modest premiership club. I think with the, the level of the level of latent support they've got, if they if they if there's a good product in the park, Falkirk fans have shown in the past they will gladly go out and, and spend money and and watch their team. So to, to go from the position where you're signed off, when you look at all the bad things that have happened to Falkirk, it's from Peter Houston's dismissal. You know, you would be angry when it's one person signing these decisions off. You would be angry, if, and I completely understand where that comes from. Airplay. What's number six? Number six, this is, we'll, we'll finish up this podcast number six. This actually, in some ways, mirrors number nine 
to an extent, although this guy got a lot, lot more time than Scott Booth to, again, work his anti-Midas touch in North Lanarkshire. It's Barry Ferguson's two-and-a-bit-year spell in charge of Clyde Football Club. Is, do we know, does his, this tenure prove that Barry Ferguson isn't a good manager? Or do you think he could still potentially uh, come good? Okay. Well, I think we'll, we'll talk about the, the we'll talk about his spell at Clyde, at the in greater depth. I I, I would say I don't know. I I don't know. I think at, at Clyde he he couldn't do what was asked of him, despite the fact of having numerous opportunities to do it and trying out different things. He he, he didn't didn't really know what he was doing. So I don't think he was able to make the best use of the tools that he had available. At Kelty Hearts, Kelty Hearts have got a team that on paper looks good enough to compete in League One. So if you're, if you're smashing opponents 6-0 every week purely because you've got better players than them, what are you really learning from that? You know, I suppose that he can keep players motivated. That's, that's a good thing. I think that, that's a good thing. Keep players motivated, keep standards high, bringing competition for places so that if, if the standards do drop... You've got people that can come in and take the roles. I think that's a, that's an important job. But you really find out about someone when the chips are down and when there's challenge and when they're taking on clubs of equal stature. So I, I, I don't really think we'll know if Barry Ferguson is a good manager. However, on the evidence of his two and a bit years at Clyde, I would say no. And I would say that this spell, I would say, is embarrassing for, for Ferguson himself and embarrassing for a lot of tabloid cheerleaders who seemed to, to give him, who hadn't really researched what was going on at Clyde, seemed to give him a free pass and seemed to talk him up at, at one point, bizarrely enough, as a future Rangers manager. He seemed, uh, he, he seemed stubborn and, and obstinate and incapable and, and of building a, a coherent squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, across his, across his two and a half seasons there, yeah, I mean, he's signed, he's signed a ridiculous amount of players. I, I think I can, I can only find information on his first couple of seasons. Uh, and I think, if I, if I counted them up right, he brought in 43 bodies in, in those first couple of years. And, I mean, he, he had some good players here. I mean, I mean, some of them were, admittedly, some of them were young. But, I mean, across his time, they had, uh, had Craig Halkett, they had Stephen mm-hmm. O'Donnell, they had Dylan Easton, yeah. had Jordan Kirkpatrick, yep. they had Scott Linton, yep. they had John Gemmell, they had Peter McDonald. Mm-hmm. I mean, across this time that he had uh, a, a decent team, but it almost felt like at every single transfer window, there was another churn and another I, another turnover. Totally. He, You're he, absolutely another, right. another team where it, it was almost like a different squad every transfer window. I, and that's, well, A, it's not a good sign, and B, it's not a, it's not a surefire way to success. No, I, th- it's I think it's a fighting exercise. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to put Barry Ferguson's time at Clyde into context. Clyde had, you know, Clyde back in like 2005, 2006 when they played Celtic, you know, a real plucky underdog story where they they signed all these guys from open trials and ended up putting together a a pretty decent squad of players, some of whom who went on to have uh, good careers, like Craig Bryson, for instance, you know, surely have made a lot of money from from football. Um, Anyway, that season in 2014, Jim Duffy had left the club. He'd taken Clyde to... Clyde really punched above their weight in Jim Duffy's season. I think he got them finishing in fourth place in the playoffs. 
with a, a fairly mediocre group of players, like honest guys, like like guys like Brian McQueen and John Sweeney and and Scott Ferguson, like guys who guys who could walk down your front row, you wouldn't you wouldn't really know. They're only really relevant to to, to Clyde fans, and when, when I'm sure. Duffy, um, you might need to correct me from Duffy had signed up a lot of these players before he took, he would have done I if it was June that he left, he'd have signed up a lot of these players before he took the job at, at Greenup Morton. So when, when Ferguson came in, Ferguson, he wanted, I, I, listened, I, I listened back to the podcast I recorded with Scott McLaughlin, who's, who's very enlightening. Scott McLaughlin played for two years at Clyde uh, under Ferguson. Well, certainly like two and three quarter years under Ferguson. Very illuminating. And when, when Scott McLaughlin came into the club, Ferguson was, he, he referred to the players who he'd inherited as diddies, was, was the word that he used. And it was, Barry Ferguson had a big problem I mean, with players who found it difficult to, to follow his instruction. And I think Barry Ferguson had been like a top quality midfielder. You know, one of the best that Scotland's produced in the last, what, 25 years? It's probably fair to say. You know, a, a really good player, somebody who played with, with great players at Rangers and someone who's used to incredibly high standards. But the problem he had was that at Clyde, he was working with guys who were not very good players. You know, guys like, we talk, they're talking about these guys like, like, like Brian McQueen and, and David Marsh and all that, guys who are, who are big, big boys, big, honest boys, and became very frustrated. They found it difficult to, to carry out his instructions. So after that sixth place finish, he decided, right, Get rid of them. I'm, I'm not keeping. I think I'm not sure. I need to check the squad list. I'm not sure how many he kept on. But that's when he when he signed guys in the 2015-2016 season. I think he wanted to sign big guys to compete. And it's like stuff like an Arnold Schwarzenegger calendar. Some of the guys they brought in they, in the latter half of the season, they brought in John Gemmell, brought him in from Albion Overs. They signed big Chris Smith, Michael Bolacheveki, Marvin Andrews, Mark McLaughlin. And it almost worked. I mean, it almost worked that season. It almost worked, but it was it was like percentage football, like just putting it into channels, getting it along. And they'd Scott McLaughlin. Scott McLaughlin's a you know like a, a, a decent ball player, but it's, he's best served if you if you put the ball into his feet, like like play play, play the ball ball into his feet. And Scott McLaughlin tells a story that a guy Martin McNiff. At Clyde, who's, who's still at Clyde, unless he's left in the summer. I think he, he, he might have been he might might have been released. Certainly been there a good number of years, anyway. But Ferguson was so worked up with his players not being able to carry out his instructions. A lot of the players went into themselves. And Scott McLaughlin says, rather than playing a simple five yard pass under pressure, like to put play into someone's feet, players who normally would be good enough to take the ball into their feet, you know, we give and goes. The players would instead kick it long, just get up the park so they'd avoid their manager bollocking them. And I just think that's really not a helpful way. Scott McLaughlin was very uh, complimentary about Ferguson's coaching and, and his, his training sessions. But in terms of his man management, he was badly lacking. But as you say, though, that, that, that second season, it almost worked. Yeah, I, it's funny, I, I read an interview... I can't even remember who the player was. I just I just read the interview today, and it was somebody who had uh, signed for Barry Ferguson for the second time, uh, signed for a Matt Kelty, and he Scott Linton, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, the fact that Linton's there, quite possibly, but he was suggesting that one of the one of the reasons he signed for him 
which I didn't think was a ringing endorsement. He said that he always gets the best out of his players because he's constantly moaning. And I'm like, whoa, I, 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 don't, know if that sounds, I don't know if that sounds great. And, and as you say, it, kind of, it, it very much feeds into this suggestion that he can't quite get his head around the fact that the players that he has at his disposal can't do the things that he did uh, at, at Rangers or, or at Scotland or at, or at Blackburn. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's it, something to be said about the fact that, I mean, they lost to Fort Martin United in the Scottish Cup and, and Ferguson threatened to quit at that point. But after that, they, they went on a decent run of form. They won a good number of games and that took them into third place. They played Elgin City in the, the first leg of the playoffs. They beat them. And, and I don't know how much this might have affected that um, the, the, the final against Queen's Park, but, but Chris, and the, the, the news broke that Chris Mitchell had died. And Chris Mitchell had been with that, been with the club for the the first part of the season, and was, was, was genuinely well liked. But they played Queens Park, and I, I was at the first leg. Queens Park were excellent. David Galt scored one of the best goals I've ever seen in the flesh. I don't know if you've seen it. He hits the thing about forty yards, and yep. it kisses the underside of the crossbar before it goes in. And they they weren't very good in the second leg. And again, as you say, it was it was back to the drawing board. And the player that they brought in, I think the, the player that they, they brought in in the 2016, the guy that he wanted to build the entire team around was Dylan Easton, who I think they might have signed from Elgin City. Yeah. Was it Elgin City? Yeah. And the idea was to play a, a diamond in the middle of the park with Dylan Easton at the tip and basically give the ball to Dylan Easton and just let him do what he wants with it because at that point he, he was good enough. And after, f- after five games, Clyde were doing quite well, but... Easton got a bad knee injury. I'm sure I actually like, kept him out for, for the rest of the season. Very, very serious career-threatening injury. And Ferguson was just like, right, channel balls, get up the park as quickly as possible. And where it might have worked to an extent the season before, it certainly did not work uh, that, that season. They went on a 14-game streak, 14 streak without a win from December onwards. And Ferguson left the club in February 2017 when they were in eighth place. Was that the was that the season also where they they lost to Spartans and he was ended up getting in a bit of ramy with a, a fan behind the dugout or was that his first season? I think it might have been his first season. I, I, need, I need to check in that, but he certainly was involved in a in a ramy behind behind the dugout in a game against against Spartans. It's just I think as well what made it made it particularly embarrassing was that there was quite a lot of fawning from I'd say you look at I don't know if social media is a good gauge but a lot of fawning from people saying Ferguson will stroll this Ferguson will, will you know he'll take he'll he'll take Clyde places and I do think to an extent it was a coup in attracting Barry somebody with Barry Ferguson's esteem who you would imagine given his name and status when the game, if he wanted to start in management, he could go to, say, uh, Dumbarton, for instance, like a, a club a club higher up the food chain, rather than going to Clyde, a team who had been in well, perpetual turmoil for, 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 for long periods. So it was a coup in that regard. And I think it was a name for attracting players because there, there would have been players that would have watched Ferguson play for Rangers growing up and like adored them adulated him and wanted to wanted to play with him. I'm sure, again, referring back to Scott McLaughlin's po- podcast, he said that. And there was talk at one point, might have been before Kishinya was appointed, maybe? Yeah. Maybe. maybe mm-hmm. Where there was talk that Ferguson could take on the manager. And it's like, what are we basing this on? 
the fact that he's he's got Clyde in seventh place and 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 League Two. That he do you think a, do you think a part of that though is because because Scotland is such a it's such a small country, and there isn't there isn't that many outlets, I suppose, in terms of its 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 media. So there's only there's only a, I suppose a couple of radio stations that reports on the on on Scottish football, and no that many newspapers. And the, the fact that Barry Ferguson writes for these newspapers and appears on those radio stations, it makes it it makes it more difficult to be to be critical of him because then he's not going to come back and write for you, and he's not going to appear on your and, and your radio station, perhaps, that's and, and and partly because not many people who work for those uh, newspapers or radio stations are necessarily paying attention to what Clyde's up to. Perhaps uh, you know, so I think I think you could you could you could well be right. Certainly, the part about uh, nobody really paying attention to what Clyde up to, I'd agree with you hundred percent there. Ferguson, he's quite prominent in the media. I don't know if he still he does the stuff with PLZ Soccer. He's he's on that, and he does. I don't know if he still writes for the Daily Record. If he still got a column with them, the, the only time I, I would pay attention to him is when he's talking about what's going on in the lower leagues. And I know that in March and April, when the league was being wound up, and his Kelty Hearts team didn't get the chance to, to take on Brecon or for even take on Brewer Rangers, like even before they got to they got to Brecon, there was there was talk of that. And I think that him with his position. He would quite rightly so have been aggrieved that he didn't get the chance to, to compete for promotion. And I think a lot of that shapes people's perceptions about the lower leagues. This idea that it's a, it's a closed shop, that, that clubs are all, it's really self-serving, clubs have no ambition, they're only in it for themselves, they're scared of these ambitious teams, quote-unquote, that are, that, that are coming up there. So I do think that that, that certainly, certainly shapes that. What would say... However... However, however the, the Scottish Cup isn't a closed shop. And that was his, I mean, he had an opportunity there to, uh, to kind of take a, an expensively assembled Kelty side through a, a, at least a few rounds and they got absolutely leathered. By uh, Ocken Leck at home. Yeah, I mean, if I, I was, uh, if I was associated with Kelty, I would, I would still have uh, misgivings about, uh, about Ferguson as a manager. But that's the thing, he's a name. And you imagine that like for sponsorship and stuff, there'll be people who, who want to get associated with the club because Barry Ferguson's involved. That's that's I think that that's your you're sort of like almost the, the, the quote unquote image rights in, in, in some regards uh, uh, to that. But I think his time at Clyde, I think it was embarrassing the fact that he, he resigned like Towards the towards the end of the season, I think it was like uh, John Paul McGovern and Mark McLaughlin. I think it might have been that, that took charge. The fact that he had all that time to, to get his ideas across and couldn't. The, the fact that he didn't. He was there at the club for for two two more than two years. Still didn't know what type of football that he wanted to play. Still didn't figure out what it took to succeed at that level. The fact that he. Sign players like you some try to build his team around Dylan Easton when Easton was in. He's like, ah, oh, well, let's just go back to Shelling along. That for me, you can compare it to Scott Booth, in, in in some regards. That I do think Ferguson is perhaps more prepared to to muck in at that level, a, a slightly degree of better degree of understanding, but just 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 rubbish. He was rubbish, and I don't think they'll you'll Scott, find uh, Scott Booth never said at any point, I can't make it on Saturday. I've got a course. Barry Ferguson did. Did he? What was the story there? He he missed a game against Elgin because he had he was 
they had to go to Switzerland for a UEFA course. Bob Malcolm took charge. Fair play. That's all you have. That's all, that's all you have to, to, to say to, 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 to say to that. But I think a lot of these teams that we've spoken about. Well, some of the teams we've only spoken about five, but but some of these teams that we have kicked on, like Dunfermline, are in a good place now. Dunfermline, you would say, are probably looking to challenge promotion into the Premiership, uh, uh, despite that embarrassment. Clyde, they made a misstep when they appointed Jim Chapman, but they corrected that quite quickly and brought in Danny Lennon, who's been brilliant for Clyde. They signed. You had quite a, a big discussion there about the, the the ethics behind signing David Goodwillie, but if you're talking about his performance exclusive on the pitch, he's probably been Clyde's best player of the last not not probably undoubtedly been Definitely. Clyde's best play, best player of, of of the last ten years. So I think that, that, that as a club. Clyde are, are definitely going in the right direction, but certainly they, they, weren't, they weren't doing that under Ferguson. And I think things were so bad that they, they needed a draw with Montrose on the final day of the season to ensure that they didn't finish bottom that year in Cowdenbeath did. Yeah, very embarrassing. Shall we leave it there for now, Sean? That is our first five. That is, a, that is our first five. I've been talking for more than an hour. That is, that is our first five. So please join us again soon when we'll be going from five to one. And if you thought some of those were embarrassing, wait till you see what we have got coming up for you next. Stuff that, that certain supporters will be listening through their fingers. No, you can only look at something through their fingers. You can't listen to something. <laughs> through your fingers that's a that's a horrendous metaphor but I um, please uh, I don't know what, what this podcast is going to if it's a Patreon one or a main show uh, we don't decide that we, we are uh, too far down the food chain to make those sort of administrative decisions but nevertheless if you're not doing it already please subscribe to Patreon there is content going up there pretty much on a daily basis and a lot of it's excellent so please get involved uh, thanks Sean I will speak to you shortly perfect Podcast Network.